Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review, where our goal is to listen to the top artists and songs of the last 100 years, starting in 1920 and working our way forward. Four days a week, we review what we hear and share the history of popular music with you, as we do. I'm Richie, your boatman guiding you down this river drum sticks, and I wish you a happy Halloween. And to our Hispanic friends, departed loved ones who have come to visit and listen to some music with us this weekend, bienvenido a mi casa. You're listening to Side A of a new kind of Cunningham's episode that we call a Future Flash. It's Friday, it's Halloween tomorrow, and most of all, it's time to listen to some music. But the 20s are sorely lacking in any decent Halloween music. So instead of sticking around, we're flashing forward to the future that was 1985, where we'll be listening to one of my favorite October albums, Oingo Boingo's Dead Man's Party. Today we're going to be doing something a little different from our regular listening series. It's Friday today, and on Fridays we take a step back from our chronological journey to recenter ourselves and take a break. In today's episode, which is the first in a special series we call Future Flash, we'll be listening to an album that to me always feels like a little secret, since it never really gets its due despite its lead singer's later success. And that lead singer is Danny Elfman, born in 1959. While you may not know his name, you know his work for sure. If you've heard the Simpsons theme song, then you know Elfman's work. He's also scored nearly 90 movies, including writing the main theme for 1989's Batman, where he beat out Prince for the job. Elfman also scored Edward Scissorhands and worked with Tim Burton quite often. He's actually the singing voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas, cementing his place in Halloween and Christmas alike. So if you recognize his voice in today's songs, that's why. Now, Elfman founded Oingo Boingo in 1979, and the band put out four albums before Dead Man's Party. Oingo Boingo has had a lot of critics try to figure out what genre they fit into over the years, from ska to punk to new wave, but the problem is that the genres all both fit and don't fit depending on the song and the album. Oingo Boingo is a standout for being able to switch between so many different sounds effectively, something that we'll see in today's album. The band would go on until 1995 when they united for one last concert in Los Angeles on Halloween night. And that would be in my top 10 impossible time machine concerts to go to if I ever got the chance. So if you know anyone, let me know. In their fifth album, Today's Dead Man's Party, the band cleaned up their sound and became much more structured than they had been. And in my opinion, it makes for their most cohesive album. As we listen to it today, I have a theory that I'd like to share with you and I think that it's gone mostly unnoticed since the album's release. I submit to you that Dead Man's Party is a concept album, which follows a man who commits suicide through his own denial of his death to wandering as a ghost, refusal to enter heaven or hell, and ending in his final return to earth to live out eternity as a spirit that mostly ignores the living. So when you listen to today's album, pay close attention to the lyrics to see if you agree that it fits and I'll give you a map to follow through the tracks. First, we look at Just Another Day. This song, which you may have heard as the opening for the second season of Stranger Things, starts with a quick lyric right away. There's life underground. And from there, describes a man who is afraid of everything and has lived a loveless life full of fear. And from this life of fear, where every day is just another, he sings reverently of a place in the stars that waits for you when you get old, as a relief from his visions of the apocalypse. In Dead Man's Party, the title track, Elfman sings about walking with a dead man over his shoulder. 
And this has been previously explained as meaning that he's holding a casket as a pallbearer. But in the context of the song, I think he means that he feels the Grim Reaper is coming for him. He mentions that he's waiting for an invitation to arrive, to a party where no one is still alive, and where you leave your body and soul at the door. In the third track, Heard Somebody Cry, Elfmanovos hits us over the head here, and it's kind of making me wonder how no one has noticed this before. Elfman literally claims that he's not a ghost after bringing up images of a single voice crying out and cliffs and flowers in a dark forest. He even brings up images of paranoia from the first track that suggests this is even the same person and denies being the ghost without a soul, which calls back to the second track. The song ends with, Somebody might be lost. I thought I'd go and see. Somebody might be lost. Somebody might be me. Moving on to the fourth track, No One Lives Forever, the Grim Reaper seems to be trying to convince the protagonist to give up on life and to pass on, telling him that it's fate to not live forever. But the Reaper is unsuccessful as the protagonist doesn't realize he's dead yet and tragically thinks that he's still trying to outmaneuver death. Continuing the theme in Stay, another speaker tries to explain to the main character that he's in purgatory with him begging him to stay for just one more night and denying that they are at the dead man's party where no one knows your name, but admitting that there is no winning the race that they're in. Perhaps on the sixth track, Fool's Paradise, we find out what drove the protagonist to insanity as there are very subtle allusions to him catching his true love with another man when he talks about finding stains on new linen and, quote, fresh tracks on virgin snow. In the end, he denies the idea of heaven as well, saying that he's no better in the place of his dreams, and that if all repentance does is get you through the night, then it's a fool's paradise. So having denied repentance, the character finds himself in hell, having been thirsty in the hot, fiery temperatures for years, and asking for deliverance on Help Me. The song even ends with a church organ finale to seal the deal. Finally, in the same man I was before, the final conceptual track, the protagonist seems to reject both heaven and hell, instead finding himself walking amongst the dead, returning with the, quote, bones that come marching from the promised land, and hearing that his entire existence is wrong. Now, that is a tragic tale, but it's just a theory, so let me know if you don't agree in our subreddit post. And wait, I know you're saying, what about the last track, Weird Science? That doesn't fit into it. And you're right. If this is a conceptual album, you basically have to exclude Weird Science into the theory, but I think that's okay for a couple of reasons. First, Danny Elfman wrote Weird Science for a John Hughes movie of the same name, and it would be a huge financial loss to leave the song off their record when it was one of their biggest hits. I think it's safe to say that it was here just so they could publish it on the album and get extra sales. Second, Elfman has repeatedly said that Weird Science doesn't feel like an Oingo Boingo song to him. And that's certainly ironic since their most iconic song, but he wrote it, so if he wants to give us that information, I can certainly use it, even though I love the song and I think you will too. So we've got some excellent Halloween listening material, a crackpot conspiracy theory to check in on, and a killer single at the end of all of it. I think we are set to get this future flash going, so strap into your DeLorean because we are going back to 1985. Normally, this is the part of the podcast where I tell you that if you're not listening on Spotify at this point, you really should be. But Spotify has changed how podcasts like Cunningham's Law Review operate, and so I no longer need to publish separate playlists. Through the wonders of modern technology, from now on, you just need to start the podcast episode, and you'll hear everything in a row without pressing another button. 
Today's episode is posted on Spotify under the title Cunningham's Law Review Future Flash 1, and it's all one piece. You can find a link to this episode on the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review, and we want to know what you think about our reviews and the music we're hearing, so make sure to join us on the subreddit for the discussion, or leave us an anchor voicemail. That's all for Side A of Future Flash 1. We'll see you for the reviews after the songs on Side B. Welcome back to Cunningham's Law Review Future Flash 1. You're now listening to the B-side of the podcast where we review each of the songs in today's music and talk more about the impact that the songs had. If you'd like to join the conversation, the Cunningham's Law Review subreddit will have a dedicated post for this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review. We'd also love to hear from you through an anchor voicemail. I'm Richie, your host, and I hope you enjoyed the music or at least heard something new. But even more so, I hope it helped to put you into the Halloween spirit. This is, believe it or not, the first full album we have reviewed on Cunningham's Law Review. And if you're wondering why that is, when we've had so much music to listen to already, it's very simple. Albums did not exist before the late 40s. Sure, there were records, but they really couldn't hold more than two songs, maybe three very short ones, unless they were the the top-of-the-line records usually reserved for classical music. Even those could only hold around five minutes of music per side, and they don't even approach what we would think of as album length today. It wasn't until Columbia invented the LP, or Long Play, record in 1948 that you could record more than two five-minute songs on each side of a record. And when they figured out microgrooves that can store sound much more densely, they increased the time of albums from 10 minutes to around 44 minutes. If you want to read more about that, there's an excellent article on peakvinyl.com that we'll link in the subreddit. But in fact, you'll notice the total playtime on this record is 42 minutes, or 21 minutes per side. It wouldn't be until CDs that you'd get much further than that. But the point is that as this is our first formal album review, we want to explain how that works. First, we follow the same 25-point scale that we always use, judging each song on authenticity, innovation, catchiness, mastery, and artistic statement. But then we average the total category scores, add those numbers together, and round that to the nearest point score. Why do this? Because if an album has one great single and the rest of the album's garbage, then the whole album is bad. So in our review system, you would see that there was one standout song with a high individual score, but that the album would be rated terribly. It's a good balance that recognizes that some albums suck, but have great individual songs. While neither the song or the album is or should be judged completely separately, it's nice to have both scores as a reference. With all that build-up, let's get to what is a personal favorite album of mine, Oingo Boingo's 1985 Dead Man's Party. We start our review with the first song on the album, Just Another Day, which receives a very high score of 21 out of 25. It's important to note that this album is front-loaded, meaning that its best songs are at the beginning of the track list, and of three songs that score the album high of 21, one is Weird Science, which is tacked onto the end, and the other two are this and the second track. So don't worry that I'm just gushing over an album I like, we still try to remain objective here. With that being said, Just Another Day is a standout track that opens in this album exploration of death and the afterlife as a theme. The xylophone riff and the serious tone with which the lyrics open let you know that you are not in for another vapid 80s album, but something completely different. 
The song earns a four for authenticity with the paranoia explored in different ways and supported by Elfman's vocal sincerity. The song receives a four for innovation in bringing together so many sounds and instruments together successfully and in a complex way. But notes of Flock of Seagulls, Iran, and the band Yes in general can definitely be found. While I could see how some people might think this song is a bit on the melodramatic side, that's really Elfman's style. And if you let yourself fall into it, the song rewards you with a lot of fun and earns a five in catchiness. From the outset of the song, the xylophone and huge guitars are rewarding to listen to closely, and Elfman's vocals fade in and out of the mix in a haunting way that earns a four for mastery. Finally, an artistic statement, the song receives a four for exploring themes of paranoia and insanity, but not offering opinions or answers outside of these explorations. One of the most impressive things that repeats throughout this whole album is a complete shift of instrumentation and sound from song to song. In Just Another Day, there were xylophones and the guitar was part of the rhythm. But in Dead Man's Party, we've got much more pronounced guitar riffs for structure, synth bass lines, and ska horns that bring the song to life. In the song's lyrics, hints and puzzles are found throughout with references to silver dollars on the eyes of the singer, letting us further our theory that he is the one waiting for death and not just attending a funeral, since placing a silver dollar on the eyes of a newly deceased person are to prepare them to pay the ferryman that will guide them down the river Styx on the journey to the afterlife. In talking credibly about everyone's fear of the unknown afterlife, the song receives a four for authenticity and artistic statement, and its continued use of ska horns and rock guitar effectively create an innovative and catchy song that earns a four and five in those categories respectively. Surprising us with a new sound yet again, Heard Somebody Cry starts out plain but quickly gets loud and pumping with a Detroit-style blues guitar and blasting saxophone. There is a relatively complex guitar solo, but it's definitely not perfectly performed, which on an album it should be since you can have as many takes as you need. The chorus is catchy but not overly so, especially in comparison to the preceding songs, and the artistic statement is so subtle that it's difficult to suss out while at the same time being on the nose if you listen only to the lyrics. That's a result of the music camouflaging the intent of the lyrics in a way that makes them much more subtle than they are on their face and may be a part of why this album isn't generally considered a concept album. Overall, the song scores a 16 with threes in all categories but mastery, where the musical camouflage and the complexities stand out in their attempt, if not their success. No One Lives Forever brings us yet another soundscape with new hard synthy drums and staccato muted guitar picking, further backed up with screams and yelling to create a chaotic sound without being overly abrasive. The music gives you the feeling that the subject is being chased, but then a calm voice comes over the pandemonium to explain that no one lives forever, presenting the idea that a second voice is speaking to the person yelling. The song receives a four for its authentic expression of arrogance in the person who thinks they'll live forever, and in complexity and artistic statement for similar reasons, but receives threes in innovation and catchiness. In Stay, we're greeted by a theremin-style synth, pitching a cooler vocalization that creates yet another sonic setting for us within only five songs. Elfman does come across as overly melodramatic in this one, earning the song a three for authenticity, but the song could be improved by removing some of his ooze and other filler noises. Though weaker in authenticity, the song is strong overall, and it should be noted that as a standalone song, this one has better legs than the others and functions well as a romantic song. It's one of the catchier songs on the album and receives a four there, with threes in innovation, complexity, and artistic statement, rounding out a total score of 16. From the soft sounds of Stay, we go full-on rock guitar and dance drum beat in Fool's Paradise. 
This song is a warning for those who think they found paradise that it's temporary and told from the standpoint of a man who catches his true love cheating. But he also calls out those who find religion and repent in order to be saved as unworthy of respect since he thinks you can fake it, calling both love and repentance fool's paradises. Lyrically, this is one of the more interesting songs and receives a four in authenticity and artistic statement, with threes in the remaining categories for a total score of 17 out of 25. In Help Me, we find out that it may be a good idea to repent since it'll keep you out of hell. But since our character didn't follow up on that, he instead complains about endless thirst and hot temperatures, which lead us to believe it didn't work out for him. In this song, he's begging for deliverance, and the request is backed up with Baptist church organs in the music. Overall, the lyrics are too simple, and the song seems to be about a minute longer than it needs to be, peaking twice with the second being superfluous. If there's a filler song on Dead Man's Party, this is it and it ties the next song for the album low with a total score of 15 thanks to threes in authenticity, innovation, and artistic statement, but held back by a two in catchiness and a four in mastery led on mostly by the excellent sax solo and jazz guitar solos in the latter half of the song. The last conceptual song of the album, Same Man I Was Before, is straight up 80s pop, and you'd be forgiven for confusing parts of it with Dead or Alive's Right Round, which came out the year before this song. Here the metaphors are again muted enough that it's hard to figure them out, which holds the whole track back to threes across the board. However, the song does offer an alternative interpretation for the concept of the album, which is that we are witnessing the never-ending torment of a soul that does not realize it is dead. Since the soul doesn't think he's any different than he ever was, is it possible that the album is meant to be replayed immediately, essentially dooming the protagonist to never-ending torment? That's up to you, because you can put the needle wherever you want. But wait, there's one more song. Weird Science. If for no other reason than the fact that this is an absolute tour de force of every 80s tool in the box, this song is an absolute time capsule, and an excellent example of 80s synth sound incorporated in a rock style with big guitar, processed saxophone, skimpy funk guitar riffs, and synthetic drums. I do not doubt that Danny Elfman has done terrible things in his experiments to further his sonic pursuits, and the song earns a four for authenticity. With all of the different things going on here, you think it would be cacophonous, but it works as a funky Frankenstein, and for that, there's a foreign innovation for Elfman's arrangement. In my opinion, this song could be even longer, and as it's a five in catchiness, and I have found myself play it on loop many times despite it already coming in at six minutes. It's not overly complex in instrumentation or artistic statement, but what is there is done so well that there's no question it gets fours for both categories, And that means that this final track is the third 21-point song on this album. By averaging each of the category scores throughout the songs, adding those scores together, and rounding the result, the album receives a score of 18 out of 25 points. And that shows the damage that a couple filler songs can do to an otherwise stellar start. Though this score is still high, and this is still one of my favorite albums subjectively, in our ratings at least objectivity seems to have been maintained, in as much as it can be. We hope you enjoyed this special episode of Cunningham's Law Review as we flashed into the future that was with 1985's Dead Man's Party by Oingo Boingo. Happy Halloween to all of our listeners and be careful to check that you're as alive as you think you are in case this album was just a warning for you personally. But we want to know what you think whether or not you agree with us because Cunningham's Law states that the best way to learn something on the internet isn't to ask a question but to post the wrong answer somewhere. So make sure to find the subreddit's dedicated post for this episode at reddit.com slash r slash Cunningham's Law Review or reach out to us through an anchor voicemail. 
If you leave us an anchor voicemail that we end up using on the show, we'll review an album of your choice in a special episode, even if it's your own bands. If you like what we're doing here, leave us a review on your favorite podcasting service and follow the podcast and playlist. And if you don't like it, definitely don't mention that to anybody. We'll be back Monday with our first review of 1921's music with Eileen Stanley's challenge to Marion Harris. Until next time, I've been your host, Richie, and you've been listening to Cunningham's Law Review. Our theme music is a difficult subject by the insider, and nobody else works here. And if you happen to hear coyotes in the background throughout any part of this show, that's not a Halloween sound effect. It's actually coyotes, so sorry about that. (laughs) 